Welcome to our podcast series on IT security and government, underwritten this week by Verizon. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in today's episode, we're talking about how managed and professional service providers are helping federal agencies and the public sector address today's expanding security threats. And we'll look at how those services can also help public sector leaders narrow the security skills gaps most organizations continue to face. Joining us to talk about that today is Chris Novak, Global Director for the Verizon Threat Research Advisory Center. Verizon, of course, is a leader in security services. Chris's team leads hundreds of cybersecurity investigations annually, ranging from financial fraud, cyber espionage, ransomware, industrial control systems, cyber terrorism, among other cyber threats. And he advises multinational corporations and government agencies regularly on their cybersecurity posture. Chris, thanks so much for joining us and welcome back to the program. Thanks, Wyatt. Always a pleasure to be here. And also speaking with us is M.K. Palmore, Vice President, Field Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, which partners with Verizon to provide a comprehensive range of enterprise and cloud security solutions. M.K. has nearly three decades of government and cybersecurity experience, including 22 years at the FBI. M.K., thanks so much for joining us as well. Glad you could be here. Wyatt, thanks for having me. Government agencies are all struggling to keep up with today's growing security demands. Those challenges have clearly grown more complicated in light of the pandemic as agencies needed to support a huge number of employees working suddenly from home. That's resulted in a surge in new security risks at a time when finding skilled talent remains a never-ending challenge. Chris, let's start with you just to kind of set the stage here. Your team see firsthand how the threat landscape is changing as well as broader trends through Verizon's annual data breach investigations report. How has the surge in users working from home complicated security concerns for government security leaders? And what other trends are forcing officials to rethink their long-term strategies? Yeah, that's a great question, Wyatt. And I think there's a couple of things there. You know, when I think of, you know, cybersecurity and what it is that most organizations want from a defensive standpoint and how you want to improve, the most ideal situation is that you'll always have more and better resources at your disposal and the threat landscape will remain the same or get easier to tackle. The reality is we're all kind of seeing them move in the opposite of that, right? And so what I mean is, you know, security operations, instead of it being easier, centralized and getting more staff, organizations are facing issues of, you know, their socks may be running on a skeleton crew. People are increasingly working from home, which may make it more challenging for them to be able to access the technology, the resources, the capabilities, or even just their colleagues and peers in order to get things that traditionally might have been more trivial in order to get those done now are, are maybe far more complicated. So I think that is kind of moving in a direction that is challenging a lot of organizations on how they react. And then also combine that with the surge in users working from home, right? So typically we would love for things to be static because you can plan for that. The surge in users working from home means that everyone is dealing with the complications of that at the same time they're dealing with the skeleton crews of other aspects and the new threats that we see emerging from the fact that we have assets, endpoints, data applications, either living in new locations or potentially accessible to new parties. And you combine that with threat actors are taking advantage of these circumstances as we typically see in any kind of challenging environment or natural disasters or anything like that, we typically see that the threat actors try to craft new styles of social engineering attacks and phishing schemes. And we see the same thing here with COVID. 
that's really forcing security officials to rethink the way that they're approaching things because they recognize that their prior concept of the way their security operations worked were, were not really designed for that. And, and obviously, even now, that is a greater challenge with the remote work aspects. Well, MK, how are you seeing your enterprise customers reacting to the surge in risks associated with remote access? And I'm curious, what do you see distinguishes this new environment we find ourselves in compared to the days prior to the pandemic? Chris hit on a couple of the highlights, I think. What we've seen is an expansive extension of the threat attack surface. Now that we have multiple, multiple users now gaining remote access to their business enterprises from a variety of locations, you see opportunities for the adversary now to basically go at low-hanging fruit. When folks shifted to remote access, not everyone had available to them devices provisioned by their enterprise. And so you see users now using any kind of device that they have available to them, engaging in both business and their consumer-related activities on a day-to-day basis. And so to the adversary out there, this is a opportune environment for them, one where they can develop new tactics and techniques in order to gain access to systems. And of course, they know there are opportunities for them to gain access and that most of those systems will not be protected in the same nature that most enterprise systems are protected. Given those circumstances that you both outlined, the widening array of security threats, the expanding range of technology solutions, and the limited resources that organizations have to work with, what would you say is holding agencies back from utilizing managed and professional services to address security needs? And why are the economics changing in favor of adopting managed and professional services? I think it's a couple of things. One, you have the traditional barriers, and a lot of this is philosophical or maybe the mindset that people were steeped in when they started. There's typically a thought that on-site is more secure, right? And I think, you know, people load money up in the bank vaults because you believe that is more secure. You got big steel and concrete walls and doors around it and guards protecting it and everything on the inside is, is safe and secure. And a lot of organizations historically have looked at securing their assets in the same way that, hey, the more we can keep the assets in the middle and the more we can build a good hard perimeter around it, the more easily and the more effectively we can keep it secure. And the reality of today's world is that's not even possible anymore. Too many people, things, data, assets, applications are either moving, are mobile, or in this case, remote. And even when you look at things like suppliers, they're all typically external parties that are being interconnected as well. So the notion of being able to leverage those traditional barriers when it comes to security are more challenging. And And obviously, then you look at that and say, okay, how do we start breaking out of that concept and say, you know, maybe at this point, it makes sense for us to be looking at how we do our security differently, knowing that our assets and data and the rest of our apparatus are not the way that they used to function. So I think getting past that traditional mindset and barrier of everything's got to be on-prem, in-house and self-managed is kind of the first step. And then from there, maybe we look at third-party managed and professional services to augment some of those things, because there's an additional ROI that you can provide provide there. Specifically, when you look at things like capabilities and skill sets, you know, a lot of times we go in and we do an investigation, we may bring a very specific niche skill set for, let's say, malware analysis and reverse engineering. That's not necessarily a skill set that every organization is going to need full-time, round-the-clock, all the time. You need it when you need it, when you have a malware situation that requires it, but that's not happening every second of every day, right? And so I look at this as having that broader bench of available skills that you can 
can tap into when needed, whether it is round-the-clock monitoring or the malware example that I used, and only having to engage those skills, expertise, and incur those costs, typically on an as-needed basis as well. You know, I tell people it's kind of almost like the cloud-based computing model. You kind of pay for usage or consumption, and you pay more when you use more, but typically you're paying less or little or nothing when you're really not using it at all. And similarly, you see the same kind of concepts with a lot of managed and professional services is the ability to do things along those lines. I also look at it from the standpoint of the cybersecurity market is such a tight market right now in terms of finding the skills and the resources that you need, going out and finding and hiring the right talent, then being able to train that talent and then retain that talent. And obviously, if you can lean on managed or professional services, that's one of the big things we see a lot of our customers lean on us for is they don't want to have to deal with that, you know, turnover or changes or having to try to figure out what that competitive landscape looks like to keep people they can say, look, we need X and we need you to deliver on these SLAs. And it's up to us to bring all of that to them. Some great points there. MK, what else would you add in terms of why the economics and advantages of managed and professional services are becoming more compelling for federal agencies? So it's becoming more compelling for any enterprise. I think in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, what we're seeing is a reprioritization of projects and roadmaps. And so what you have in the technology field is you had cybersecurity now being brought to the center of enterprise risk management and enterprise risk issues. You still want to go through those implementations of the roadmaps that you had set out. But what we've seen certainly are enterprises now having to engage in different aspects of that roadmap much more quickly than they had originally planned and taking into account as Chris was explaining, what we call the SASE model or Service Access Secure Edge, having to secure and access data in all of its variety of locations and the locations where you need it to remain operable. We have to now take a look at it with an eye towards how can I enhance my capabilities while at the same time not go deep into the pocketbook to have to expend finances on certain services and capabilities that we know we're going to need moving forward. So certainly managed services may become part of that calculus as you begin to decide how it is that you level up your capabilities, but you're also now looking for efficient tools that can level up your capabilities, give you access to the business data that you need, and also keep your users engaged from wherever they happen to be. Well, MK, let me follow up with that. Can you point to some examples of where you're seeing managed and professional services helping federal agencies and public sector organizations improve security more cost-effectively? Sure. There there are numerous examples, I think, of where managed services come in. You know, the the challenge for government agencies is always the classification aspect of the information that they exchanged. And certainly managed services is a way to go about doing that, provided that the security nomenclature and networks are available for them to translate and send information back and forth in a manner that's both appropriate for the classification and also takes into account the number of users that they have. So they need services that are capable of scaling, obviously, pre-COVID-19, a very small number of them were engaged in remote access issues. And now that number, I'm sure, has expanded exponentially. And there are great examples of government organizations adopting secure remote access solutions in the midst of COVID-19. And I think what it's done is it's opened the eyes of some organizations to realize we can operate this way. We can do it securely. We can meet all of our demands that we normally have set before us and allow our workforce more flexibility going into the future. Chris, where else are you seeing managed and professional services bringing agencies greater security expertise and return on their investments? 
So I think it's a few areas. One, obviously the ability to access the depth and breadth of the talent and capabilities that might not otherwise be easily accessible or available, right? We see this um, as a common thing that comes up where some of the organizations that we work with will say, hey, we'd really love to be able to get this kind of capability or this kind of skill set and execute this kind of task. But in an agency setting, that may not be a kind of talent that is necessarily accessible through their typical hiring or recruiting processes, or sometimes may just be out of reach from a salary standpoint in terms of competition with the market, but they know that they have a specific need that still needs to be filled. The other thing also is focusing on security is not what a lot of agencies' mission is, right? So most agencies, their mission is to do something else. And security is something that is a need to have to ensure that the mission can be done. But generally speaking, it is not the focus of why or what the agency does, save for a few whose mission is, in fact, safety and security. But those aside, having the ability to lean on a third party who's their, their actual focus is on security, both from an MS or a PS perspective, allows you to remain more focused on your core objectives, right? And why not spend more time, more effort, more resources on what the core mission is? And then the other thing also is there's a great appreciation for the global footprint and the global view. So when organizations reach out to Verizon, whether they operate on a global basis or whether they have a need for reach outside of a specific geography, they appreciate the fact that we're able to bring the view from everywhere else in the world. And what I mean by that is if you're an agency that just operates in Boise, Idaho, and that's all you do, you will still want to know what's happening in New York, what's happening in Sydney, Australia, what's happening in Tokyo, Japan, whether you actually have a presence or a mission that happens there from a security perspective. We often say the internet essentially has no borders. A threat actor can move from any part of the globe to any other part of the globe and hit any kind of asset with relative ease. So the more you can know about what the global threat landscape looks like and what it is that you can be doing to protect against that, obviously the better. And so having an entity that can stand in that way and that can actually bring that view and perspective of the landscape and how to detect and defend against it, I think is obviously critical. And, you know, that's also an area where, you know, when we look at our global backbone, there's an opportunity to draw a lot of threat intelligence from what it is that we see just by what happens to transit the backbone. The backbone of the internet is essentially the battleground in which most of these cyber attacks take place. So if you can have your wish and see into that, it's almost like in the movie, The Matrix, when all of a sudden it becomes visible as to exactly what it all means and how it all works together, all of a sudden you kind of have an epiphany and you understand how the world works. And I say, you know, if you can have a view like that into the internet, a perspective like that is incredibly valuable when you're dealing with, you know, threat actors that have to take multiple hops to get from their point of origination to their target. And then from their target to say command and controls or points of exfiltration, having that visibility is, is incredibly valuable. Finally, gentlemen, what recommendations would you offer CIOs and chief information security officers on how to win buy-in from their agency leaders to take greater advantage of managed and professional services? MK, maybe we'll start with you there. So the job of the CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs has changed dramatically over the years. They have found themselves in a position now where they are much more influencers than they are anything else within the enterprise. It's part of their jobs. They have to be collaborative with the other business lines and the business operations of the enterprises from which they provide security for. And the key thing you can do is consistently loop stakeholders in and to ensure that you understand what those business roadmaps look like. If you are in alignment with business roadmaps more than 
than likely you will be in a position to offer solutions that not only enable the business, but also provide protections as you go along. In terms of communicating with their colleagues, it's important to use frameworks that are easily explainable so that when you're lining out what the roadmap looks like in terms of what types of tools you're going to look for, what kinds of implementations you're going to look for, they are easily explainable and again, are aligned with business objectives. And Chris, your last thoughts on the subject? Yeah, I'd say uh, a key thing that I always encourage organizations to look at is their risk metrics. You know, what is it that they are ultimately trying to protect and defend? What is it they are ultimately trying to do to lower their risk of a potential breach or incident that could cause them or their constituents serious harm? And I always kind of reflect back to what we have in the the annual data breach investigations report, of which Palo Alto is is a good partner of ours in putting that together. And I look at some of the metrics that we pull out of that. And in particular, one of the things that that I noticed from our last edition of the report was faster detection and response. And what I mean by that is historically, we've seen that detection and response to incidents and breaches, it could go about eight months or so on average, typically before an organization will even have identified the fact that, that they have suffered an incident. And then obviously they have to take steps to to mitigate it and respond and recover. And what we found in this last year's report is that for organizations that were leveraging two key things, one was managed security and threat intelligence. Those two things contributed heavily to an actual measurable improvement in an organization's discovery time. So, you know, obviously at the end of the day, that's what we all want to do is how do we close that gap and discover and detect things faster? I think we all recognize that we are all going to have incidents and issues to deal with. And so, you know, obviously if we can't prevent everything, then the next thing we want to be able to focus on is how do we better and more quickly detect and identify it so we can respond. So I'd say those risk metrics in my mind tie back very well towards what is it that you're doing to improve detection and response? manage security and threat intelligence being a big piece of that. And then the other thing that I always say when I have the opportunity to is fundamental, you know, cybersecurity or systems hygiene, know what assets you have, where they are and what data lives on them. Because when it comes time to actually doing the detect and moving into the respond, that'll be a critical element of how your response will look. Well, those metrics are certainly encouraging and appreciate your mentioning that. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for today, though. Chris Novak and MK Palmore, thanks so much for sharing your insights about the use of managed services to address talent gaps in IT security and some of today's security threats. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks to Verizon for underwriting today's episode. Look for more in our series on IT security and government on fedscoop.com and our Fedscoop radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Wyatt Cash, your host. Thanks for tuning in.